0: Coming up, I'll be joined by Jack Tuhill. At the top of the podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about the Matildas ahead of tonight's massive fixture against Canada. And then we had a very special interview with an A-League legend. That's all coming up right after this. Welcome back to another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast. And, uh, tonight it's just myself, Christian Marchetti, back hosting the podcast. Yeah, I know you had to listen to Cody, uh, as, as your host on the last podcast. Um, but listen, you know, you've got me back. So, uh, that's, that's always great. Anyway, I'm joined by Jack Doohill. Um, and it's just me and him tonight. Later on, we've got a very special guest joining us, but, uh, Jack, um, what's, what's been going on, mate? What's, how's, how's things?
1: I've uh, just been throwing myself into this women's world cup. It's been an absolute belter so far. Mm. Uh a lot of great moments. Uh just gotta say that um goal in the Argentina game the other day,
0: <laughs> goal of the volley? Under. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that yeah. Was that
0: was yeah, yeah.
1: An absolute ripper. And uh just to see, you know, the entire country get around the tournament, the crowds being so well
0: even crowds have been fantastic. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. In Australia. And also, you know, i got to shout out to the Kiwis as well. You know, they've been showing up for their team and also, you know, getting a few bombs in seats for the other games over there. So just been enjoying the football, really.
0: Yeah. Um. I mean, I was, yeah, We. I've just come back early today from, from South Korea, Morocco here in Adelaide. And I mean, to actually be a part of history there, uh, Morocco scoring their first goal and getting their first World Cup win, Hugely emotional scenes. I mean, yeah, for this all to be playing out on our shores uh is is very special indeed. Um anyway, what we do want to talk about to start off with, because this leads nicely into into what what we're going to be talking about this next 15 minutes or so, which is the Matildas. Um, because unfortunately, early this week, and I know we're a few days removed, of course, from from the result against uh Nigeria. Matilda's going down three two in Brisbane. Um, but yeah, a lot of lot of discourse coming out of the game um I yes I publicly kind of vented some of my frustrations with what was going on as well um but I wanted to ask you first of all of, of kind of your take on on what happened there against Nigeria your your thoughts on Tony Gibbsen and and some of the decisions he made because obviously that was the leading kind of um uh you know debate coming out of coming out of the result
1: well um look you know, not a great result, um, by any means, from the Matildas. But I, I was actually, um, fairly pleased with that first half. I thought they played really well. Um,
0: I'm gonna counter. Is that alright with you?
1: You can counter if you like. You know, this is this is a healthy debate. We have a healthy debate. But I thought the Matildas, apart from probably not putting away a, a few opportunities they had in that first half, um, played fairly well. But um, what? was definitely you know on show and demonstrated um was I think how potent that left side of the attack was for nigeria mm-hmm. and what I was you know personally mainly disappointed of um in terms of you know the coaching and using of the substitutions by good is when uh carpenter did need some support on that defensive line, which I don't think she was getting correctly from Claire Hart not to single anyone out I thought. You know, she's been pretty good all tournament. Mm-hmm. It's difficult against a player of that quality, obviously. But um, to bring Pockyhorn on in the 80th minute when you're, you're 3-1 down, to finally get a little bit more support and steady the ship there, like too little, too late, and just felt like a really big missed opportunity for Matildas to to coast into the round of 16 when uh they did have the majority of possession. But full credit to Nigeria. Um, Obviously, physically they are athletes and they're lightning quick and they can run over the top of you. In that second half, that's exactly what they did on the counter attack, exposed some um, pretty big gaping holes in the Matildas' defence. And yes, obviously that third goal was a bit of a calamity between goalkeeper and centre-back, Alana Kennedy and uh, Mackenzie Arnold. But um, Nigeria, you've got to give full credit to them. They've held Canada to a draw, the Olympic champions, and now Gordon beat the host nation of Australia. Um, if they weren't on anyone else's dark horse list, um, at the price of the tournament, they certainly would be on that list now.
0: Yeah, look, praising Nigeria is great, but uh, I do want to talk about Matildas. Now. <laughs> um, look, so the so the carpenter thing is interesting because the island game, which I was at, and I wrote a piece afterwards, um, on on kind of my tactical, I guess, observations of the Matildas in that game. And look, the Matildas won one nil. They played all right. But they didn't really create much. like And that, and that was a big thing which I came out of it uh, kind of thinking. And then Van Aguant, look, it's a great goal in Matilda score to take the lead against Nigeria. Fantastic. Great work. Caitlin Ford, brilliant. Cut back, finish. Everything you want, right? But I mean, outside of that, and you said they played well in the first half, and I don't totally disagree. What I would say is I think they controlled the game very well in the first half. But I don't think... Like, think about Nigeria's keeper. How many saves did you really have to make in the first half, right? So, and I know... You know, you hear this all the time, you know, and Tony, Tony Gibson keeps saying, you know, final third entries, and, and, and some of the players were saying it afterwards. I think, I think Steph Catley might have been, might have been someone else saying, you know, oh, we had heaps of corners and stuff. I mean, listen, guys, it's fantastic. Like, and, and it shows that you're getting in the right areas, but if you're not going to create anything from those corners, from those final third entries, then, then what are we doing, right? You know, and that, and that, that's the thing for me watching this team in this first two games, it's really been sticking out. And I think it's interesting, Ireland, because, Australia, I actually felt against Ireland. So it's interesting with with the two fullbacks, so Carpenter and, and Catley. So when Australia have possession, there's, there's quite a few times every now and then where, where either of them will invert. So they'll come inside as, as more like midfielders and, and the winger on that side will kind of hang and, and play a little bit deeper and, and they'll try and kind of get overloads in midfield and play like that. Now, I think against Ireland, that was something they should have done more of. I think against Nigeria, that's something they should have done less of because that's exactly what you're saying, Jack, where Carpenter was coming inside, and all of a sudden, when you lose the ball in transition, Nigeria are way more potent than Ireland were because simply they just got more pace. So when the Matildas lost the ball in transition, they were completely exposed, Um and we saw that. And then also... I will agree with one thing that Tony Gibson said for sure in this post game where he was talking about second balls. I agree with that. I think, I think, you know, Matilda just weren't strong enough on, on those moments. And, and he's right. If you give that away to, to those teams, then that's not good enough. But I mean, that's, that's probably the only thing he was right about. I mean, let's, let, let's be honest here, right? I mean, the, and, and you mentioned the Polkinghorn substitution and you mentioned it from a defensive perspective, but I'm thinking, and I, I still a few days removed from it, can't believe. In the 80th minute of the second game of the home World Cup, uh, the Matildas coach has sent his centre back up front to score a goal or to, to to get back in the game, and that's a move that you make when you're at the end of the tournament, you know, throwing one last roll of the dice, right? And and that that was for me so telling about that it was just just bizarre. Like, I mean, I'm sorry, like you know, we're are 10th in the world. We've got and and everyone listen, we're going to talk about it in a moment, Sam Kerr. And, and Sam Kerr is, is one of the best players in the world. And if she played in both these games, then yes, for sure, maybe Australia win both and there's no problems, right? I actually don't totally agree with that, that notion because I, like I said to you, I don't think the materials have created enough. And, and Sam Kerr is, is a poacher, right? She's not. She's not someone who's necessarily going to, I think, anyway, from what I've seen of her. And, and, and a caveat to all of this conversation is that, you know, Cody and Matt are much more knowledgeable in this space than someone like I am. So, you know, keep that in mind. But, you know, she's, she's going to get on the end of things as opposed to, you know, dropping deeper, receiving the ball and then creating things. Right. So I think what worries me is that Matilda's aren't just, they just aren't creating enough full stop. And I think that, you know, to do that with 10 minutes to go in the second game of the group stage of a home world cup. Was just a massive sign of defeat. Like it was just, it was just bizarre, right? And I understood the, you know, the rationale, I guess, from his point. But for me, 60th minute, Chidiak should have come on. Maybe Chidiak should have started, right? Um, and that's that's you know, a whole other thing, right? Um, and yeah, it's just I don't know. It's uh it's a bit strange, But, but my other point. Kind of talking about Kerr and stuff was, I mean, you've got Kalen Ford out there, you've got Haley Razos just signed for Real Madrid. I mean, it's, it's, look, it's not like the Matildas are devoid of quality without Sam Kerr out there. I mean, there's 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 a lot of quality in that team. You know that they, they they should be able to create more than what they are, and that's that's for me been the sticking point.
1: Well, um, I I just wanted to touch on a few things that you sort of started there. Um, yeah. their main source, you know, of of attacking phases. Um, even when Kerr's on the pitch, is you know getting it out wide and, and utilizing mm. the cross, and that's really good when Sam Kerr's in the team because she's physical. She knows how to lose a defender and she knows how to win the ball in the box. That's that's one of her her many gifts as a striker. And yeah. you're talking about how she doesn't drop deep, but playing in the last shoulder, she opens up a lot of space. That's right for the wingers to get into space for Caitlin Ford to be able to take the ball, dribble. At a one on one situation at a defender. And I think we, you you know, you saw it against Republic of Ireland and and you saw it a little bit more pertinent against Nigeria without Sam Kerr then making those sort of runs that takes the defender away from Caitlin forward when she does dribble, which is fantastic. At there's always two defenders coming in and closing her down, even when she gets into more advanced positions. But, um, you know, I think this is probably a point we have to look at retroactively after the tournament, but. the 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 squad selection you know it's unlucky that you know mary fowler and sam kerr picked up injuries you know specifically for this game of course mary fowler did play against republic of Ireland, but um you know you've got a kai simon who from what i've heard and i've seen hasn't trained with the team in the lead up to this tournament i'd be
0: shocked if she sees the pitch based on what yeah you know he's
1: coming out of camp yeah out of camp and you had, you know, you, you had, I mean, not a lot of people fans there, but you had Larissa Crummer, who was still fit. You also had Remy Simpson, who was getting some minutes with Leicester City. Michelle Heyman. Michelle Heyman was banging them in and I was definitely on the Michelle Heyman. <laughs> Coach no, I mean, there. listen, but his, his,
0: his, yeah. I, I've seen a couple, a uh, couple pundits out there as well mention Heyman. And the thing for her as an argument is if you want to, the thing is, if you're, if you want to back up to Sam Kerr, for me, what you want is someone who can perform Sam Kerr's role similarly. So not necessarily he's going to have the same quality, of course not, but hmm. can perform the role. And I'd say Michelle Heyman's a pretty good poacher, right? So I think, and, and you could get crosses into her and do that sort of thing. Now, I'm not, again, you know, I, I'm i not knowledgeable enough in this space to, to, to speak about, you know, or speak to okay. who should have been selected in this that and the other. But all I see is you've selected a player who doesn't, Seem like she's going to be ready at all for the tournament, which which I just think is bizarre, right?
1: Yeah, it it is bizarre, and it's definitely something that has to be discussed at the end of the tournament. It's probably not useful to discuss yeah. it now, but um, if you're looking at team selection as well, you mentioned Alex Chidiak. I mean, when she came on, she was the most exciting player on that. That's when pitch. the Matildas started worked. creating chances, Jack. Yeah, and that's <laughs> and that's when the Matildas got it back in the game. I mean, you know, too a little too late and stop each time, but. She creates so much room. And we've seen it with Melbourne Victory and and so many times over. When she gets on the pitch, she just makes stuff happen. And in mm. a game, when you're losing, even at two, the point without 2-1, and it looks like, you know, we, we really just need a result out of this team. We need something to happen. That's the role that Alex Chidiak really needs to play in this Matilda squad. And the fact that um, Gustafsson hasn't figured that out yet um, is... You know, a little bit concerning. Um, and, and heading into this Canada game, you know, that that's a game where you need players who can just create something out of nothing. You need those special talents to go up. Well, I mean, particularly
0: if we're going to be in a situation <clears throat> here where it's one all with ten minutes to go and the Matildas need a goal, right? Like that's that's where and and this leads into the next point where where Sam Kerr is going to be available for the game. Now, I think personally it, this hasn't been confirmed you know whether it's starting or not personally i, I don't think she's going to start i just i just don't see it right um i think there's a scenario where she starts on the bench and i think if it's nil or at half time and probably tony you know i'd advise him anyway just goes fuck it and let's bring her on and let's just go for this because we like there's got to be a feeling coming out of this camp going in this game that like you just can't get knocked out in the group stage for home world cup and it, but it's you know it's different this isn't like qatar in 2022 right playing in a home world cup when you know they're not they're not really ready for it right this is this is the top 10 team in the world that we're talking about this this would be a disaster on, on on so many levels so you know i think i think she's gonna be a sub um and i think then I pose the question to you: If that, if let's let's say we're assuming Samco's is going to start on the bench, how do you tinker with this lineup? Maybe from Nigeria, do you stick with the same lineup and just change tactically what you're doing? How, how or does someone else come in? Does Chidiak definitely start for you? How do you how do you tinker?
1: Well, I was pleased with Ben Egmont's play um, as a shadow yep. striker, and um, I think that she's she's earned a place um, throughout that game in that team. Um, in terms of tinkering, you know, <clears throat> I think that what we haven't seen from Gustafson, excuse me there, um, is that during games, I think that beforehand, his tactics are solid. You know, when, when we see here, mm. the first 20, 25 minutes, you know, some of the pressing activities of the Matilda's are like, wow, this team is insane. But back against the wall, he doesn't seem to be able to, to think of any sort of. This, this is a great point. On the fly. Yeah. And it's going to be really interesting to see. The time where he says, "Sam, this is for you, right? This is this is your moment," and, your and moment. sends her yep. on. And you know, I I think that you know it would be best to start her on the bench. But when you need a win out of this game, like, and you know, if if Sam Kerr and the medical team dangling the carrot in front of Tony, geez, you know, base, I wouldn't be surprised if she was on that starting eleven. Yeah, yeah and i also wouldn't be surprised if you know by the 55th minute it's clear to say that her fitness isn't quite there as well so it's difficult i i could can't really comment on what tony J's going to do with, with sam Kerr if she's available because so far i haven't seen a lot from him tactically, you know, utilizing substitutes. I think that's been his main, like his main failure as a Matilda's coach. And I think he's a failure, you know, as the Matilda's coach, you know, obviously tournament, tournament of nations winner and has got some really big results over the time. But push comes to shove. That's where your managers, you know, show their colors. And that's definitely been one of his major criticisms.
0: Well, it's an interesting point. And, and just, just to kind of wrap up. That you mentioned there around the Matilda's. I noticed this. Ireland was like this. Nigeria was like this. Both games, first 20 minutes, 25 minutes, the Matilda's look like, wow, okay, yeah, no worries. They're on it. If we get a goal here, we'll be fine. Easy. You know, they're, they're, they're on their pressing game. They're keeping the ball well, whatever. Anyway, on Tony Gustafson and his PR kind of approach, <laughs> heavy PR approach with the media and stuff where, you know, throwing out all these catchphrases, tournament mode and uh, game changes and all this sort of stuff. And when you cut through it, you know, he says after the Island game, you know, I I thought the game management was really good. I am I'm, I don't know. I, I didn't think the game management was good at all. Personally, I, I think that the Matildas, cl- they clinged on for 20 minutes and they held Island out and they got the result. But I don't think clinging on is necessarily good game management. I think it's, Let's thank Mackenzie Arnold for for, for pulling off a couple of saves, right? I think that's what it is like, you know. So it's almost like sometimes if there's a criticism, he, he throws these terms out there almost to see if maybe the media doesn't pick up on it. Um, but I think I think people are starting to get wise to the act a little bit. And I think at the end of the day, you, know, you can throw as many phrases out there as you like tonight, and by the time the podcast goes up, you know, it will be will be tonight the the game against Canada. The, this is do or die. You know, the re- the result has to be a win. And Australia need to make it through. It's it's as simple as that, right?
1: Well, yeah. Besides, you know, if you want to take Tony G out of the equation, I mean, he's a massive part of this equation. It's where yeah. teams show their true colors, and it will be where the Matildas stand up. And look, I'm not. And they say, you know, I until that final whistle goes, you know, as an Australian fan, you have to believe, and you know, maybe that's what gets us offside with with some of the actions we see from the coach. But I think that people were starting to wise up to it a little bit before the tournament. You know, when we're getting some lackluster results, obviously massive losses against Portugal and then the Netherlands as well. And then you also had some pretty lackluster results against Republic of Ireland as well. These are I a while back. That That's again. a while back though. That's a long time ago. I know it's a long time that was, ago. Well,
0: I think what's actually, no, it's interesting you mention this because I think what's actually happening is, like Tony, he had a lot of criticism obviously at the start. And there was those yeah. results. You mentioning those results there. I think now it's almost like that's coming around again. And, and that's, that's what coming, I mean. Yeah, yeah. And that's coming around at a time where it felt like the materials actually know that they're on the up. And now all of a sudden this has come back up and it's like, Oh, wait, what? Like, you know, and I think that's where people are kind mm-hmm. of just bemused. Um, yeah. let's, I guess the only other thing I'd add is there is potentially a psychological effect with Kerr not being available too on the on the squad, right? And I think I, I just think I've noticed that a little bit too. I think they seem a little shell shocked what to do at times in possession. They don't have, you know, they don't have that the talisman up front, right? It's 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 a it's it's a big it's a big absentee. Um and it's interesting because if she doesn't play, you know, or if she's on the bench I mean, if she doesn't start, then okay, you know, you're faced with that problem again. So you you need to find a way to battle through it, you know, and this is, this is where the top top nations are made of, right? You look at, look at Norway. Good example, right? Lost the first game, drew the second game, not looking good. And then just came out and thrashed Philippines, right? You know, like that's, that's kind of what the Matildas need. They need a a big response statement to really say, listen, you know, forget that Nigeria result, forget the fact we didn't play our best against Ireland. We've still got quality and we can still do this. And, I think if they can do that, if they can win and win well, I think that kind of puts them back where, where we think they should be anyway. Any anything you want to add on this before before we uh take a break?
1: Ah, uh, well, you just commented on, you know, sort of who's gonna step up and, and be that leader and, you know, obviously just get the energy a little bit higher because I think, you know, we noticed that first twenty minutes come out of the gates really strong, but it's that back end of the first half that both in the Republic of Ireland game and in the Nigeria game, even though and believe Ben Egbon got to go and stop each in the first half is which where it was really concerning. And, um, you know, you've got to look to your senior players. You've got to look to people like Alana Kennedy, Steph Catley. Those are the people who who have to stand up. And if Sam Kerr's not on that pitch in the starting 11 against Canada, um, they have to be ready to step into that role, you know, just to make sure that even the youngsters that are on that team are ready to go. And they're up for it, and um, that's a major thing that's been missing uh, with Sam mm. Kerr's absence, and it's been noticeable. And look, you know, I don't know if there are many people are going to see this, but I'm wearing my Matilda's jersey right now, and, <laughs> and 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 being the the most unbiased media personality in Australian football, I sure hope they're ready to go.
0: And uh, it's Claire Polky one on the back, right?
1: Ah. Oh. Yes, love the polks. Start the Polks. Tony. Hashtag make the Tony
0: polks. if 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 you're if you're listening to the podcast, which you, which you definitely are, obviously. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, make sure you start Claire Polking on. Also, uh, start Alex Chidiak, That'd be nice. Um, but anyway, um, <laughs> we're, uh, we've got we've got our special guest on, on the other side of this break. Uh, we'll be back right after this. Okay, so we are joined now by a very special guest. Um, none other than a league legend and his name is Nikolai Topor Stanley. And, uh, we're going to get straight into it. Nikolai, um, how are you going, mate? Great to have you, uh, on, on our podcast. We had, um, Jared Tyson recently on our podcast and now, uh, we've managed to get you. I think we're like slowly going through, um, members of the inaugural, um, Western Sydney Wanderers squad at, uh, at this point, but, um, h- how are you going, Matt?
2: Yeah, good. Going well. Um recently retired, so trying to stay fit. Trying is the uh is the big operative word there. Um but going well.
3: Yeah, let let's uh let's touch on
0: that uh for a moment. Actually, before we do that, World Cup song. We were just talking about it off air. Um Women's World Cup, it's uh it's there's been crowds uh, which have been sensational. The FanFest has been fantastic to witness. Um, what, what's your view um, been on that so far? Um, have you been, you know, maybe had any fan festivals or anything like that um, to, to kind of experience things?
2: Well, I wish I could. I, I don't have the time because I just started a new job and two young kids. So, um, But, yeah, been watching the games, um, following it earnestly. And it's just been great to see the buzz and, and the fan engagement. Um, Especially, you know, there was, you know, I think a lot of naysayers thinking that, you know, it wouldn't be uh, much of an event. But it's, I think it's been uh, proved wrong. It's been it's been a big success and um, the football's been great too.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's um, been sensational. And just as we're recording right now, uh, Jack mentioned it before. I think Germany are playing Columbia at, um, at Sydney Football Stadium and, and all the Colombian fans. And I think it's, Jack, was it packed out? Um, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. It so looked, it's, um,
1: it looked pretty packed to the brim and the color was just amazing. And to see, you know, such a, you know, great international tournament here down under, you know, as a football fan myself, you know, something that you always dream of to see that sort of stuff, you know, capturing the imaginations of your country. So, um, if the women's world cup, if that's, if that's the minimum, it's certainly, um, I think over delivered in that sense.
0: Yeah, no, it's been fantastic and uh long long may it continue. Um all right, Nikolai, uh you touched on before about how how retirement's going. Um and that was obviously announced in April, um, that uh that you retired from professional football. Of course you're still playing though, uh with with Landon in, in the local league. Um how's how how are you finding it though, not I guess being involved and I mean it's the off season at the moment in the A League anyway, but not being involved, I guess, in the professional environment kind of day in, day out, um of, of a of of an A League setup.
2: Yeah, it's certainly been a change, um, and one that I'm certainly not used to. I'm, you know, still trying to find my feet in, uh, I guess what life looks like post professional football. But, um, yeah, I'm busy. Um, I've got two young kids, four and five years old, that are running me ragged. Um, still, yeah, playing, um, if you want to call it semi professional football in the NPL here. So that's keeping me, um, you know, engaged in football and still, a bit of camaraderie, which is good, and started a new job, um, which is yeah, a, v- a very different pace of life, but um still trying to get my head around that, which is, I guess, occupying my thoughts and my time.
0: How um I guess because this is always something which is talked about, um, particularly someone like you who's involved in the game at top level for so long. Um, has, you know, the PFA played any part sort of in 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 your experience and even even other people that you know kind of transitioning from that moving out of professional phase and kind of getting into you know now you know working day job and 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 same professional environment is is that something have you found um that've kind of helped you with with something like that
2: yeah absolutely um you know being part of the PFA myself because it's actually run by the players um you know we've put in support networks um and it's all, it's all there if you choose to engage in it and it's all up to the i guess the athlete to use the support that's available um, whether it's um, you know you name it we've got it um, mental health family planning uh, financial planning uh, mortgage brokers um, you know business meetings theres there's help there um, if yeah you know, if, if people want it so yeah they've, they've played a huge role in helping me uh, you know get my university studies rolling which happened probably 10 years ago i started um they helped me i guess juggle um you know even applying for uni um because at at that stage um you know there were a handful of online options but it wasn't as prevalent as it is now especially with covid You know, everyone's doing online stuff now um but yeah i mean they, they helped me get that ball rolling which i guess gave me a degree in the end and brought me down the path where, which is what I'm doing now, which is strength and conditioning. Um, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm an assistant strength and conditioning uh, coach at Hunter Sports High School um, in Newcastle, which is uh, they're a really good program, really good facilities. In fact, you know, I tell the kids that they've got better facilities than probably 90% of the A-League teams. Um, you know, they've got really, really wow. brand. Um,
1: they, <laughs> they've they got... Cracking facilities out there. Just personally, my parents live like a block away from that high school, and it's cracker. <laughs> They've got the world at their feet. So,
3: yeah, I mean, it's easy to, I guess, take for granted
2: what you what you know. Um, but yeah, that it's a it's a really good top class facility and good coaches. Um, and yeah, I'm happy to, uh I guess, play a part there, even though I've only been there two weeks. So we'll see how that goes
1: and I uh, just quickly you know with that transition from professional footballer to now you know obviously a, a semi-pro if not a local footballer with Lampton and also going into you know a, a regular sort of work week what's been the hardest part of that transition I know that as a professional footballer it's very much a full-time job and if not you put in more hours than a regular full-time worker but what's been the most difficult point of that transition do you think
3: um, all right. I talked
2: about this to my wife today, actually, because she said, you know, how are you going? Like, she was checking in with me, I guess, like, how, how am I feeling post football? And I said, look, I, I'm kind of waiting for something to hit me. Um, because as, as yet, it hasn't. Um, maybe it's because, you know, we, we moved into state, which was hard enough. Um, you know, we set up a house here. I'm still unpacking boxes from my garage, actually, a month later um starting a new job um meeting new teammates um so i've been very busy and it hasn't really i guess hit me for lack of a better word um that i'm no longer professional football maybe it will maybe it won't I, I i don't know but as as of now i'm not really um you know i'm not really dwelling on that fact um but yeah, maybe it'll come in a couple of years or maybe it'll come on the first round of A-League, round one, where I'll sitting there going, you know, oh, now, now it's really hit me that I'm no longer there because, um, yeah, it's a, it was obviously a huge part of my life and a huge part of my identity. But I also learned a while ago that um, that's not all I was. You know, I'm a father. Um, I've got many different strings to my bow than just being a footballer and I kind of uh, consciously made that decision to to be a bit more rounded as a person, not just a footballer. So maybe that's going to help me instead. As I said, maybe in two weeks I'll I'll be a balling uh, mess of emotion, but so far so good.
0: Yeah, um, you mentioned the strength and conditioning. So is that something that you always had an eye on um, towards the end of your career that you wanted to get into? That
2: um, not quite. I mean, I. You know it's only a really you know a discipline that's been around for hmm. at least in the a league for the last decade seriously um and I guess m- my first proper strength and conditioning coach um you know we we still keep in contact um he's over in the l a galaxy at the moment heading up their program um you know I kind of was interested in what he did and you know how did he get there and you know we we were I guess friends outside the football field too so he kind of got me interested in it and at that time I think yeah I was around 27 28 I realized that yeah I had to football wasn't going to last forever and I had to kind of branch out and educate myself um and that was a starting point um I guess initially it was always with the aim to stay in football and um yeah stay as uh as long as I could in the in the a league environment um but now that I've got uh kids and I've done that, I kind of wanted to step away from the a league a little bit um and learn my craft outside of just football and learn about other sports um athletics basketball you know you name it we've got we've got it at, mm. at a at the school um and it's a good environment for me to learn in um actually coaching eager young kids so so yeah
0: So now, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe three hundred and seventy nine A League appearances is the is the number I've got. Um, and I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Is there any moments that really stick out to you? Any highlights, any anything you look back on and go like, wow, that was, you know, to experience, that was really cool or or a goal that you scored which was um which is incredible. I think I think Jack has a question later about 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 one of your dubious goals, but anyway, um, any,
3: <laughs> <laughs> any, anything that sticks out. Um, look, there's you know,
2: there's all sorts of moments where winning the Asian Champions League is obviously an obvious one. Um, playing for my country, for the soccerers, going to the Olympics, these are kind of obvious ones that you can point to, but. I think what I'll really remember and cherish is, and it sounds kind of corny, is that I, through sport, I kind of found out, you know, what I was made of.
3: Um, and, you know, I've been through, yeah,
2: the highs and lows and, and of injury, of, of failure, of, um, self doubt, um, and the fact that, I could deal with it and come out the better side, the other side, you know, a better person. Um, I guess is my, I feel like is my main achievement and I've been, you know, able to put put things in perspective by having kids as well. Um, so it's not just about one game or, you know, winning an a championship. Um, it's the kind of journey that led me to, be who I am today and, um, see life in a, in a, in a sort of unique perspective. So I guess that's a bit wishy-washy, but, um, something that I think about, um, myself, um, and, you know, I get asked that question a lot, you know, is, is there one moment? Is there, is there one goal? Is there one defining moment of you? Um, but whenever I go back to thinking about it, that's, that's what comes up that it was, uh. You know, seventeen-year career of of you know a, a lot of happiness and a lot of good times, but a lot of a lot of sh- hard and shit times, to to put it bluntly. Um, <laughs> and to be able to deal with it is, I guess, my uh, my greatest. Uh, uh, I guess what I what I hold pride in.
0: It's kind of. So it's kind of like the journey of actually, yeah, experiencing it all, and then kind of looking back on it and going, wow, you know you know i could i you know I look at the level i reached as well but then also you know look at the adversity i i faced and dealt with too
2: yeah totally and you know what you see on the weekend is only a, a minute fraction mm. of mm. what athletes you have to go through um but you get judged on that um ultimately and and i guess we accept that um but there's a whole lot of other things that go on the background um pressures um you know personal issues, you know, we're footballs and people, you know, like there's uh then we're not immune to
3: every other thing that happens to every person out there. Um so yeah,
2: to I guess when I get asked that question, that's what comes to mind, you know, that, you know, I, I was able to last a long time. Um and when peers around me who are probably, you know, Ten times the football that I ever was didn't really carry on um, because of a lot of those reasons I mentioned that mm-hmm. they couldn't do external um, factors that, that weigh on athletes um, and the fact that I could and and you know I I stayed in the game and contributed meaning, meaningfully is uh, something that I look back on. And well, I would-
1: um, personally, I think you've had a great contribution to the game. I mean you you've come from Canberra you know, Belconry United, you've gone all the way through to a professional career, marked out 17, 18 years of a professional career. And I, I think... Jack, Jack honest, I feel like we should mention
0: something that you and Nicola share here.
1: Share? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. I was born in Canberra, actually. Canberran's <laughs> uh, by blood. Canberran's by blood, but Novocastrian's by adoption. I think so. I think that would be a correct term. <laughs> I don't, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, your yeah. stints at Newcastle, uh for me personally, you know, I am a little bit biased, but those are the most memorable stints. I mean you scored scored an absolute cracking goal a couple of years ago, top corner against Perth Glory. I was actually
0: watching that the other day. Yeah.
1: Oh goal of the season, one of the one of the best goals I've seen in the A League, but I actually wanted to discuss another goal. <laughs> this one whilst you're in the Perth colours, And it was quite a few years ago now. However, um, just doing a little bit of background research, I stumbled upon a very, very uh, entertaining Fox Sports segment. Um, (laughs) Nikolai, have you heard back from the dubious goal committee about that own goal that was awarded to Ante Goleck when you versed Sydney FC for Perth Glory?
2: I still haven't. It was radio silence the whole time. But I do... do, uh... I mean, I can laugh about it now, but for a long many years after, I got so much stick for doing that.
1: <laughs> I've got yeah. to say, that is the best piece of content that's ever been produced by any sports media company affiliated with the A-League. <laughs> it is the one of the greatest things I ever watched. And, like, did your Oscar get lost in the mail? Like, what happened, mate? Because those acting skills, like, you could have transitioned. You could have been in the goal three, you know, the the, the sequel. <laughs>
2: It was horrible, but you know, (laughs) it's actually a funny story. I got totally stitched up with that. So the media, I guess, producers sold that it was going to be a serious interview and they were coming up to my house about it. And I was like, oh yeah, sure. Like, great. And I get there and there's cameras and makeup people and then a whole production team. And they're basically letting me know that it's a full skip and they're taking the piss out of me. And I was like <laughs> <laughs> Being and being the sport that I was then, I'm like, you know what? You're here now, I might as well do it. I might as well yeah. you know, be a good lad and uh play along with it. So I did. Had no idea what it was gonna turn out like. And then for about five years later, I used to regret every time that someone would bring it up and be ashamed of myself, but yeah, I can laugh about it now. No,
1: no shame, mate. It's a very important issue. <laughs> I mean that that ball was heading towards goal. It's clear as day.
3: Hey, well,
1: I was I was that
2: eager to get off my new run for Perth Glory because you know they were like, if you don't score, it's a, it's a definite nudie run around across, around the training field. So I'm blaming that goal 100. <laughs>
0: percent Don't tell me you're not still actually like you're still still annoyed about it, are you?
1: Nah.
3: nah. I've, I've given- <laughs> do, you, do you still uh,
1: have Do you still have the evidence board? That's what I want to know. I want to see if you still have the the board of evidence that that CSI type red red. Uh, I con- can't believe the movie, detail that was
0: going into that skit.
2: <laughs> the detail, but without even letting me know. That's, <laughs> that that's is- crazy about it. They didn't go. Oh yeah, we're going to do this whole funny part. This is how they just turned up and totally surprised me with it, and I was like, Oh my god, I've got to do. it.
1: Oh. Did oh, they turn man. it up with the poster? Did they turn it up with it? Like at your doors going, Here you go. That's that's wow. uh that's that's Fox oh, no. Studios for you. They gotta get they gotta get uh get some good content out there.
0: Oh yeah. Um <laughs> Unbelievable. Um and what's 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 happened with the hair, Nikolai? What's that's over the years, you just you just now gone with the
3: shortcut?
2: Yeah, well, you know, I thought I had to grow up someday and actually get a a proper <laughs> haircut. Um and I'm also going grey, so you can't really tell when it goes short. So if I had it long, you'd be like Gandalf the Grey,
1: you know. Right. So Fair you've enough. gone from you've gone from Gandhi to Gandalf the Grey. Is that the new yeah. nickname?
3: Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um <laughs> th- Thanks Jack for the question. <laughs> um now uh
0: Back on, actually, you touched on strength and conditioning before, but I wanted to ask you because I mean, rarely do we get the chance to kind of talk to someone who's been, you know, in the league since 2006 all the way now to you know 2023. So you've really seen the league kind of evolve through its its darker days, its 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 better days as well. Um, like, what have you noticed? You know, kind of what what did you notice? I guess over your 17 year career in the league, kind of, um, you know, in terms of maybe. Things that evolved with clubs, uh, things that evolved in the league, uh, things maybe that didn't go so well. I mean, what 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 were some of the main things, I guess, that you noticed uh, around around the development of the A-League?
3: Yeah, it's A League? Yeah, this is a can of worms we could open up here. But um, <laughs> look, I guess from you know
2: when I, when you're younger, especially, you don't tend to notice a lot of detail because you know you're fresh in the league all you want to do is play and all you want to do is train and you 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 know you have a very narrow i guess field of vision that which is yourself you know you're very you know self-centric and you're not really paying attention to the outside you know how clubs are run um and then as you get older and as you as you realize how things work you kind of take notice and you go, Oh, okay this is this is how things work um but I can definitely say that the professionalism and how clubs are run in terms of staff, in terms of detail of training schedules and even the level of coaching has dramatically changed. Um, from when I, when I first came in, you know, we, yeah, we, you know, we, we, we were doing, sometimes we were doing ice baths in, in wheelie bins that had dead birds in them. That's not, um, you know. And I was like, "What's going on here?" Like that wasn't either even too long ago. But yeah, we you know we had our gym space was uh not, I won't mention the club, but it was it was yeah it wasn't fit for you know even a prison. It was it was pretty bad. Uh, um, um, but funny thing is, we made do, and we didn't make excuses. Um, and we just got on with the show. But nowadays, as I said, you know, that there's a lot more resources in terms of, um, staff and money putting into training facilities and having, you know, good hotels and, um, travel. Uh, so a lot of that has changed with the time in the level of football. Um, you know, it's, it's arguable that, you know, a lot of people think, Oh, it was better here, it was better there. I feel like the level, the general
3: level of the A-League player has gotten much better. But there were certainly, in the
2: early days, you had maybe three or four really key players that won you a game and you relied on them continuously to provide something. And if they didn't, you know, it wouldn't happen for you. Mm. Where. The general level, I think of the, and especially the defensive and tactical awareness of, of teams is, is certainly much better. And I think that comes with the coaching. Mm. So it's more physical. Um, you know, I, I even look back at games, you know, a long time ago in footage and I see like, wow, like we, we, it looks like we're hardly running in moments where now it's far more faster paced. Um, it doesn't seem like there's much, uh you know rest or it's it's go 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 um but yeah sadly um fan engagement hasn't been great um
3: at the a-league level anyway um especially yeah i mean you can see back that there was huge
2: numbers especially um at certain games and certain clubs and now it's kind of dwindled a bit and that's another can of worms that we can yeah. we can we, we could go all night about why that is. Absolutely.
0: Um, yeah. have <laughs> done it a few
2: times on this channel. We have, we have. Yeah. <laughs> so but yeah, I think generally speaking, it's the football and how clubs are run is certainly is certainly improved. Um you hope that the fan engagement goes with
1: that. Um but yeah,
2: that's uh, that's another story.
3: Yeah, no, hey, for uh, sure. Yeah.
1: You just touched on key players that will win your matches, uh, throughout your career. And you've, you, you played for a multitude of, LA clubs, you know, Sydney FC, Perth Glory, the Jets, Wanderers, and also Western United. Um, out of your teammates who, you know, any of those club stints, uh, who was, you know, maybe like a key couple of players who, if they were on the team sheet, you just knew that you were going to put up a good fight and a good performance on that, you know, afternoon or evening.
2: Well, that's a different question to who was the best player I play with. But (laughs) if I'm what you asked, you know, I had a, I had a handful of, of those players at the Wanderers, Western Sydney Wanderers, where we might not have been the best in terms of skill, but we were just dogs. Like we would have gone to hell and back for each other. And we would have, you know, done it willingly to not get beat by. Anyone, you know, it didn't, we played, and I think that's what got us to an Asian Champions League final that we just made no excuses. Um, you know, names like Mark Bridge, um, you know, he's just, uh, one of my favorite teammates ever because, yeah, he not only pushed himself, but he pushed me and everyone around him Mm -hmm. to be that dog and just, uh, you know, to grind ourselves, um, to win a match of football. Shannon Cole, Michael Beecham, Antokovich, these, uh, Brendan Sandlab, you know, those guys, um, you know, uh, as I said, not, not the most talented footballers and not household names in terms of flashy players, but I knew when I was taking the field with them that it was, it was wartime and it wasn't just,
3: yeah, mm-hmm.
2: we would have, uh, gone, we would have gone, we would have played two matches back to back and not, not complained about it, you know?
0: Is that, can I ask you, because I was going to ask you about Tony Bobfish later, but was that something which you think stemmed from him as the manager during at the Wanderers, or do you think that was just the personnel of players?
3: Oh, I
2: definitely started with him because he set the tone, but I think he also chose the players that could handle that intensity mm. and also reflect what he wanted because you can't just get buy-in from... Tom Dick and Harry from the street, just because you're Tony Popovich, you know you have to recruit people that are willing to go to war for you based on their character, which I guess he's might have found hard last year that he, you know, he, he, even though he had a good team in his Melbourne victory, that's you know if you don't have the people to buy into what you're selling, it's very hard to yeah. to, to will achieve regular results um, and really keep your troops, I guess, engaged.
3: So the Asian Champions
0: League win, we have to talk about that a little bit. Um when you're lifting the trophy, there's there's part of you go, Hang on a minute, this is the boy born in Canberra, you know, all those years ago and then all of a sudden now I'm here, you know, lifting the trophy. We've just beaten you know, Al Halal in front of you know fifty thousand screaming Saudi fans. I mean, like, how is it like a pinch me moment? Like, how 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 did you react in that moment?
2: Well, seventy thousand.
0: Seventy thousand. My bad. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Tell you what, know, the atmosphere is crazy. You could not yeah. hear each other talk. Um, it was a bit like that. Um, it was uh a mixture of a lot of things. Like, what have we just done? Um, how did we get away with winning that game?
1: Because it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was in that game, golden glove. Some of those saves were amazing.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that was part of it. Um you know, it was a lot of it was relief, it was joy, it was um pride, it was uh thankfulness, it was yeah, you know, I mean I rang up my parents just thanking them for I guess, helping me become a footballer and without them, you know, I, I was overcome with emotion, you know, and I was just talking to them saying, you know, I was just so thankful for the hours that they put in to helping me achieve what I wanted to achieve, which was ultimately my first real trophy in
3: in uh, professional football. Um, well, not my first real trophy, but, you know, I guess – you know, the the ultimate um, success, mm. but it
2: was quickly short lived because we were on a plane straight back to Australia and had a day off, and then we went to Wellington, so mm. to play A League. So it didn't really last too long. You know, we had that forty eight hours of of enjoyment, we had a really good reception coming back to Sydney airport. Um, that was amazing. Um, the fans, you know, packed out to the international terminal and were basically singing and, and going nuts for us. And, um, you know, we shared that great moment with them, but then it was over and it was, you know, you have to put that aside to concentrate on, on playing another game in three days. So it was a bit surreal. Um, but. Yeah, obviously a moment that, you know, I'm filled with pride thinking about it, um, but it was very surreal that it was very short-lived.
1: Mm. Just to touch on that, um, yeah, as a group with the Wanderers, obviously like huge amount of fanfare when you won that Asian Champions League and a huge step forward for Australian football domestically as a professional game. Uh you commented how like it was surreal, but then it was over because you had a A league game. Uh, when did it start to set in that, you know, for a new league that's, you know, barely a decade old, you, you've gone to the, the best competition in the continent and you, you've beaten big teams, you know, from Saudi Arabia, from China, from, from all over to, to lift that piece of silverware. You know, when did it set in that, you know, this is a pinnacle moment? for, you know, not just the A-League,
2: but, you know, the domestic game back in Australia? Yeah, it's an it's a interesting question that it'd probably take me five out, five hours to answer, but <laughs> <laughs> bear with me if I'm long-winded. Um, it doesn't actually set in because as a professional athlete, you're almost told to or conditioned that you have to move on to the next one because you have it again. You know, if it was the case where it was the end of the season Mm. and we won that and we went on holidays, I'm sure it would have been a different scenario where we could party and, you know, have the fair and parades and it would probably carry on for two weeks. But uh, because
3: it happened at that time where we were basically just starting the A-League, you're almost you know you can't We don't really have time to celebrate because mm. thinking about the next game and
2: you obviously you've got pride and as i said you you're the moment directly after the game but we were into recovery mode after that game into ice baths, into pool um sessions and yeah clearly we were, we were hanging around with the trophy and you know dancing down the <laughs> down the, the hallways of the hotel um but it was
3: yeah kind of a strange feeling that you
2: re- didn't really get to enjoy the the fullness of of what we did um and it just carried on from there so yeah you i've heard a lot of athletes talk about it that you know if you really want to achieve things you have to kind of put the highs away and put the lows away and kind of live with, somewhere in the middle that but the paradox of that is that you don't really get to celebrate your wins. You know, you don't yeah. actually get to in emotion um, because you're conditioned to look forward to the next game and the next challenge because there's always the next game, which is, I guess, a bit strange. Um, I'm not sure if that makes sense, but um,
0: yeah, no, I think because I think you, I mean, you see it all the time. Particularly with like some some of the bigger sports, like in the way you know, like NBA is a good example where you know, the championship will be done in June and then like literally two weeks later they're already talking about what's happening in the off season, what's gonna happen for the next season. You know, is this team gonna have a dynasty or are they just gonna fizzle out and like I I, I mean, I'm talking more from a media perspective, I guess, but even even from that perspective, everyone just moves on straight away. So yeah, I can I can see where you're coming from. Um I, yeah. It's interesting what you said though about as an athlete actually being conditioned to I mean, well no, you actually have to just kind of move on and move to the next thing. I will ask you though That night that you did win it, is there any? Surely, is there any anecdotes, any any interesting stories back in the hotel? Anyone go a little bit crazy with the celebrations? Overzealous.
2: Well, first of all, you're in Saudi Arabia, so it's a dry country, so there's no alcohol involved.
3: Very true. (laughs) One, but there is a funny story, which I was, I couldn't believe. So we played Al Halal and. They, everyone knows
2: now that their main rivals are Al Nasser who plays who Cristiano plays for, right? But that wasn't known at the time. You know, it was uh, um, anyway. So they were there supporting us because it's their biggest rival, and they tried to get thousands of tickets to the game to support us. But you know, Al Halal wouldn't sell them the main tickets, and anyway, it's a big thing. So when we won. There was about a hundred of their fans around our hotel shooting AKs in the air. (laughs) Like, (laughs) and we were like, "Going, what is going on here? And our police detail was just acting like it was nothing. And this is the middle of suburbia. And I was like, holy, holy crap. Like, this is weird. But it would happen to be completely
3: normal. Oh, mate, far out. Jesus. (laughs) Yes. Oh, Jesus!
2: You <laughs> made trace the bullets just going, <laughs> and we're sitting there going like ducking for cover and getting ushered into the hotel by the cops. So it was pretty crazy.
3: All right. Um, I'm actually gonna ask you because
0: now it's not Saudi Arabia, but you actually did spend some time in the UAE, um, mm-hmm. playing. Um, <laughs> again, any any stories? Because whenever whenever we seem now, I know. I spoke to Michael Moroni once and he was talking to something about he was playing in China for a bit and he was talking something about, um, I can't remember off the top of my head now, but something where they, they basically appointed the head coach. They got rid of the head coach and they appointed someone as a head coach, had like basically no qualifications, like stuff like that. You hear something else about, you know, the chairman's picking the teams, not the coach. I mean, Sometimes with, with some of these Asian leagues, particularly more maybe not now because those leagues have developed a bit more, but particularly five, ten years ago, um, you had like these these kind of interesting maybe um way clubs were being run. So any anything, uh, anything from your
3: time there? Um Well, I'll start off with the fact that So I was, I guess,
2: contracted. Three games into their season, which they lost the first three, so they sacked three of the four foreigners and the coaching staff after three games.
3: Yeah, this is kind of more along the lines of yeah, what what I've heard. Yeah, (laughs) that was interesting in itself. Um. So, yeah, and I guess if you want to call the board of the club, which were you know
2: elderly uh Emirati men used to come to training but and they would have, you know, a pet hawk on their shoulder or like a baby Liger, which is a lion crossed tiger, on a chain
3: just sitting around the training ground. It's like, yep, yeah, this is this is just, you know, what we do. <laughs> yeah. And then I was
2: like, what what is this? But no one batted an eyelid and I was like, okay, I guess I shouldn't either and then um but the funniest thing was that they all wanted to talk to me because they knew I was Australian. Cause uh they knew that Australia had a feral camel population. And they were like, Oh, look, we love camels here, we do camel racing and you know, they're a you know, they're revered animal. Can you put us in touch with anyone that could get distribution rights to camels? And I was like <laughs> like I, I i barely knew that the center of australia there's you know thousands of camels apparently running feral but they were seriously asking me whether i knew anyone that could round them up and get them shipped over and they probably would have paid them but he's um but yeah that was pretty funny i said look sorry i can't <laughs> help you I'm I'm a footballer. Did, did you explain <laughs>
1: that you don't ride from Belconnen to Deakin on a camel? Like, <laughs>
2: yeah, well, yeah, I just politely said I, I tried not to laugh, um, but yeah, I just said, look, it, it's uh well, that's not that's not my area of expertise. I'm sorry. But they were
0: de- did, de- did de- you ever actually did you ever actually ride on a camel? I actually did once because I, I I actually have been to uh been to Doha once um and that's yeah that's an interesting experience um so yeah i don't know (laughs) if if you had a chance to do that but i
2: I didn't do that but i did the whole um desert safaris and the dune buggies and that and yeah yeah um yeah some interesting traffic over there on the sand (laughs) Um but yeah it was uh yeah it, it was a good experience though i i enjoyed it um and I was living in Dubai, so that was an easy place to live. Um, the football was very different, very not what
3: I'm used to. Um, sorry to... Went blank for a second. You still got No, nah, no, nah, you're good. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a good
2: experience. And uh, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it.
3: Yeah. Um, wow. This is...
0: <laughs> Aussie, Aussie football is an agent. This is a goldmine of uh, of storytelling. Um, what was this- I had?
2: I was only there for one season. Can you imagine if I was there for longer? Yeah. What else?
0: <laughs> we even had now this this actually happened in the early, but on our last part, we had uh, Jared on Jared Tyson, uh he you'd know you'd know well. Um yeah. and he was talking about when he was at the Gold Coast and um under Miron Bleiberg and one time Miron woke up uh and they had all this this preparation for the game already planned. This is what they were gonna do. I think it was Adelaide away, he said. And then Miron comes in and he says, Boys, today we're playing the lizard formation. Um and that's and he lines up the the players on the board as a lizard. And uh Jared Jared is explaining that. So um yeah. You can uh you can imagine, yeah, what what I'm thinking here, just sending all these <laughs> different uh different stories. But um nah, look, look, it's uh it's always good to, to get <laughs> to get some insight. Um on um yeah, also you actually mentioned before, obviously you, you played, of course, um, you know, at the Olympics um for for Australia, uh, in in Beijing. Now, that was, um, you know, right at the start kind of of your career. I mean, how how was that? Because that's, you know, in in an Olympic environment, but you're still really starting out your career, and then you're also representing Australia. So there's kind of a whole bunch of different kind of uh, challenges there.
3: Yeah. um, As you said, it was at the beginning of my career, so I wasn't
2: as emotionally... Stable as I probably am now, and you know, I, I kind of, you know, I built that up to be, you know, my make or break, to be, you know, because I wanted to be in Europe and I wanted to play in the Premier League, and you know, I thought, okay, I I need to play well, win, and show scouts that what I'm about, and move from there. And if I don't, it's not going to work for me. And unfortunately for me, I kind of had a. Half-game in the first game got rinsed by, uh, I was playing left back at the time, by um, an up-and-coming winger who ended up signing for Man United after that Olympics. So he was some player, Zoran Tosic is his name, um, and then I got dropped for the rest of the for the rest of the Olympics. So that was very hard for me to, um, I guess, accept mm. and... Uh, Yeah, at the time I was, I was filthy and I was, you know, I was, uh, pointing the finger at everyone but myself by saying, you know, it was because I, in the end, I can now accept that I had a bad game and the coach did what he had to do to, to win a game and it didn't work out for all of us. Um, so we can, we can debate whether that was the right decision or not. But now that I'm older, um, I can kind of understand why it happened, but, I guess you take that really, really personally as a 23 year old mm. who has built this whole tournament up as this is going to be my career or not. And if I don't make it, then, you know, my career's over, which I, you know, I felt at the time. So at the time, I felt like it was a mon- monumental failure, but now I can look back on it and say, you know, I was an Olympian. I was, you know, that's a huge, just to even be there is a huge moment in anyone's life let alone mine but it took me a long time to i guess get over the fact that it didn't go the way that i envisaged
3: and how but
0: i mean you mentioned olympian and you still represented australia i mean how does to to represent you know the country on 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 a global stage like that must have been huge
3: absolutely
2: yeah, it's yeah, like I could you know, I can always say that I'm an Olympian. You know, I've got my Olympic jacket. Um, you know, I I get a thrill whenever I get little updates as from the AOC being a former Olympian and I'm like, Yeah, that's me. Like Yeah, you're right. And no one can ever take that away from me. Um, I can tell my kids one day that,
3: you know, their dad went to Olympic Games, like mm. you know that's it's absolutely massive. Um but yeah, the football side wasn't, um, what I, I guess, you know, I built myself up to, to, to want to, I guess, achieve.
2: Um, and as the same thing goes, as I told you, you know, we're conditioned to move on.
3: Mm.
2: We didn't even get to go to the, um, opening ceremony because we were playing a game the next day, so we didn't get to experience that. And we were out of the whole tournament before like athletics really started. And Mm. the only way we would have got to actually view other Olympic sports is if we progressed to the second round. And we didn't, and I was on a plane the next morning to fly back to Adelaide to play the first game of the season against Adelaide for Perth. So I didn't actually, unfortunately, apart from one night out in the Olympic Village
3: mm.
2: to really experience the, the games and go to any events because I played three games. Well, I played one game. I came on for the last 10 minutes of our last game and I got to experience the Olympic Village for one night, which was awesome. It was amazing. Saw Usain Bolt, saw all these heroes of, of ours. But then I was on a plane and I was playing 48 hours later. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it wasn't like I got a month off just to hang out in the village and rub shoulders with LeBron James and, you know, get to live that life. It wasn't like that. I, I had to get straight back, which is, um, it is, at the time it was, you know, as I said, I was I was devastated about how it went and mm. I thought, Essentially that my chances of playing football at the highest level were done. Um it took me a long time to to emotionally process that.
0: Yeah. No, it's uh yeah, appreciate appreciate your honesty actually. Um, because yeah, it uh yeah, you're right. It, like it couldn't have been easy at the time, but then you know, once you remove yourself from it and you think back, hmm. you think, yeah, you know, that's that's just how it is. Um okay. Um now oh had to ask you about this as well because, now correct me if I'm wrong, you did spend some time at the AIS?
2: Yep, I spent a year and a half.
0: Year and a half. Now, um, again, another can of worms. We could open it. We could go into it. Um, But it's a massive topic all the time in Australian football. You know, why was the AIS shut down? You know, why'd they do that? Blah, blah, blah. Um, Some people say, I know it was right. Some people say, no, it wasn't. Um, I guess, what was your thoughts on your time there when when you were in the AIS? Um, And then, you know, if you had any further thoughts, I guess, on the model um and and what it did, because obviously you know we do have to mention that it did produce a lot of some of our finest footballers <clears throat> excuse me um but uh but yeah, then obviously there's there's some other disadvantages which which came out of it as well, um too so what what i guess is your kind of take on that?
3: Well I absolutely loved it, um you know, I felt like it was.
2: The first time I really got to experience full-time football, full-time coaching, um, obviously facilities are great. Um, I got meals, you know, I got top class physios doctors, you know, so I felt my game progressed, you know, exponentially when I was there. You know, obviously with like-minded people who are, you know, mm-hmm. at that time, the, the best of the best youth players in Australia and where you know, we're at each other's throats every day competing to be you know you know, to beat each other but also be teammates and to um but we also got along like a house on fire outside of the outside of the the football field. So, you know, I'm still really close with a lot of the guys that I went there with and um I believe it was because of that bond, you know, we we lived in each other's pockets twenty four hours a day. Um but lived and breathed football and then from that we were in junior Aussie teams, the Olympic mm. teams to that kind that bond grew and so yeah. Um whether it's appropriate still now with you know uh A League clubs taking on that burden, I don't know. Um it's a different time. Um mm. and would it still work? Who knows? uh that's that's a question that could only be answered if it was happening um and if we saw the long term uh result from that um but you know look at the if we want to look at young players going overseas look at look at the A league now and then look yeah. at the people going to to Europe right now that you know we're we're seeing it but we're quick to i guess um or well, some people are i shouldn't say we all are some people are quick to kind of poo poo the standard of the a league and you know say that we're we're not a footballing nation yet we're producing some pretty good players that are going on to play and some pretty good coaches that are going to play you know coach in the premier league so you know i think it's time that we got along the train but i guess it's tall poppy syndrome in australia isn't it
0: yeah yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely a little bit of that. Um, and I was going to actually ask you because, and Jack will love this question. You're both from Canberra originally, and there's reports, and I believe it is going to happen, uh, that Canberra is going to have a team in the A league in, in a couple of seasons time. I just want to get your thoughts, Nikolai, on, on, on A league expansion into Canberra. Um, because we've got, we've got one of our contributors, uh, Jeremy, who's based in Canberra. We've got, a podcast dedicated to to Canberra football as well. Um and for me from the outside looking in, I mean I'm not on the grounds, I'm not involved in Canberra football, but I can see that there's definitely some interest there and there's definitely a lot of talent which comes from there. Yourself is one, Tom Rogic is another big one. Um so I guess you know what what's your thoughts on on that a potential team I guess in in Canberra.
2: Well, I'll caveat this with I haven't lived there in 17 years. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm sure a lot has changed. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's got a rich
3: history of, pro- of producing mm. play, um, and a rich footballing culture. Um, so
2: I, I've got no doubt that there'll be interest there for, for the game. I, I hope, I sincerely hope it's a success in terms of, um, you know, crowd engagement and, um, you know, good football, uh, I do hope that because I, I, I want to see the, the game continue growing. You know, I'm not a, I'm not one of those guys that will sit there and criticize and go, oh, you know, it was better this time and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I really wanted football to be the number one sport in this country in terms of um, band engagement and, you know, yeah. media content. You know, I, I want to see that um, as much as anybody. So, but can I tell you what will happen? No, like <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be uh, interesting to see, and um, but I sincerely, yeah, I sincerely hope that it is a success.
0: Yeah, um, I think I, th- I think we all do. Um, any any expansion teams, of course, that come into the A League, Jack. Any any things? Sorry, you wanted to, you wanted to ask, Nicola. Well, I, I
1: just wanted to ask in particular. I mean, this is sort of a little bit drawing back on what we we're just talking about. But, um, you've obviously had a great deal of experience throughout the game, you know, AIS, you know, a lot of years in the A League, been a part of Olyroos and Socceroos. And towards the end of, uh, your footballing career, you know, taking a, that role in Western United, obviously, you know, a few injuries hampered your time there. But, um, you know, being a part of that sort of championship side, Uh, what sort of role did you take in the dressing room? Because I I think, you know, just talking to tonight, it would have been, you know, interesting. There was a few younger players in that Western United squad. They weren't, you know, used a lot by Western United during their championship campaign. But what sort of role did you take in the locker room there?
3: Um. Yeah, I mean, when I spoke to John, John Aloisi,
2: that is, um, you know, I, th- I think he wanted me to come in and I guess just be a leader and be someone who put in day in, day out and showed excellent standards in the training field, on and off the training field. And if that could rub off on a handful of people, then that's that's that was my role done. But I told him that, yeah, I'll, I'll do that, but I want to play. Like, I'm not here to <laughs> just, you know, be your flag boy and. You know, I I'm I'm the coach's voice because I'm I'm a bit older. I said I'm I'm coming here to compete for a place um in your starting lineup and don't you know if you think I'm old then great I, I want to prove you wrong I want I want to show you that I'm physically able and I can play whatever football that you want to play I'm technically able even though I might not look it <laughs> I can do it and I think you know that kind of put him on notice and. He did mention to me later that, you know, he's I surprised him with uh what I was actually able to do physically. And even though, yeah, I got I got a couple of injuries, but that wasn't until the last game of the season. Um, and you know, I was injury free until then. I trained every minute of every of every training session until the last game of the season of re- the regular season. I had a freak injury in my um in my tendon in my foot, which Was rare as hen's teeth, as they tell me. That the the specialist in in Melbourne told me it was the first time he saw it in a sportsman. But only two others in his fifteen year surgeon. So I, I was pretty unlucky to get that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, I that was the role that I that I grew into as I got older. That you know, I I was the guy that. Wouldn't complain. I was the guy that would turn up with an attitude that today is going to be. It might be hard. It might be tough. I might be feeling like shit, but I'm going to put in no matter what. Which you would think from the outside is, I guess, the default mindset of athletes, but it's not.
3: <laughs> mm. uh,
2: you know, people think that all athletes are just beasts, and you know they're, you know, they're robots, and they just that's why they're they're athletes, but it's not the case there's a there's a whole spectrum of people that are the ones that are lazy but super super talented, the ones that are emotional emotional wrecks they are you know they're just normal people, but they tend to have talent in a certain area so but I did play that role of you know the guy that no matter what I was going to be you know the hardest trainer and the best maybe not the best trainer. Because I'm certainly not the best footballer in in anyone's A League uh, roster, but you know, whoa, 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 whoa!
1: You're 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 the first name <laughs> in the team sheet in my heart mate. All right? don't 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 discount yourself.
2: But yeah, you know, <laughs> that, that I was I, I turned into that, and I think that's maybe why I had a bit of longevity in the game. That I I was dependable in terms of my actions and my temperament. That I wasn't volatile. Um, I could even when i was
3: yeah feeling physically like shit i could i could pretty much you know put in
2: a good solid shift for for the coaches and for my teammates so um yeah that's what i turned into there
0: yeah um a couple more before before we let you go because i know we're keeping you um alessandro De Monte, any- any interesting stories or just, just, just being around Deer kind of on, on the training ground and stuff. What what's what's he like?
3: Oh, he's a character. Like he's um he's I don't I don't even know how to explain him. Um
2: but I mean, his football talent is, is unbelievable. What he can do with his left foot is crazy.
0: Did you ever and did you ever say, Hey Deer, I know you can do that, but I can do this with my left foot?
2: Now, he told me that don't think that you've got the best left foot in in, in, in in this club because my left, my right foot's better than your left foot. That's who he told me. <laughs> uh, which is not probably far off. He's, uh, yeah, he's incredible talent. And clearly you don't, you don't play, you know, at that level for, for that long without being super, super talented. But, you know, a really good guy. Like I was, I was, I was surprised. Um, I, I'd heard on the grapevine that, you know, he mightn't have been that good guy, but what I experienced was, you know, he was, you know, super positive, super, super passionate about football and growing the game in Australia, which he has no reason to do. Cause you know, I mean, I don't want to assume, but I'm pretty sure he's, he's made a lot of money in his career and he doesn't have to work again um but he's super passionate to move the game forward and he's always coming up with ideas and telling me hey what about this what about that and i was like "Yeah, oh, look man that's that's a great idea let's you know hopefully someone up there in the brass that's actually making these decisions would listen um he's like oh well one day i'm going to be you know i'm going to be making those decisions and i'm like oh i hope so because you know we need people like that we need people that are, are not scared to speak their mind and you know, wear their passion on this on on their on their sleeve a little bit.
0: Yeah, well, and then of course, there's obviously joined um joined the Melbourne City setup recently um in in a coaching role. So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll see. Uh, I guess we'll see how how far he can go with that. Um, and I guess to bring this all full circle, um, you're now playing for Landon Jaffers in in Northern New South Wales National Premier League. Um, which I know Jack is far more knowledgeable than me about. Although I do catch the old game here and there because I like to kind of stay. You know, uh, kind of in tune with what's going around on around the country. Um, but it's, it's been some interesting developments there as well. A lot of we had, um, well, we had I'm trying to remember now, or Antonis actually, uh, one of our writers, um, did a piece on some of the work that, uh, Taylor Regan, uh, Daniel McBreen, these guys are doing there with, with some football academy and stuff up there. Um, but a lot of you guys, there's, there seems a lot of ex guys, uh, from Newcastle, I guess, are kind of going back and kind of, Playing, but also looking to give back in the community. I mean, what, ha, how are you finding, um, uh, being, being with Landon?
3: Yeah, it's, it's, uh,
2: I didn't know what I was getting into, to be honest, because, you know, you never know exactly until you're there, um, at MPO level, but, you know, the club's been, been great. The boys have been great. Um, yeah, pleas- pleasantly surprised of, of how things are run there and, um, yeah, I think it was a good opportunity for me to stay connected and stay, you know, in the change room environment where I know that that's something that I would miss if I just gave it up cold turkey. Um, mm-hmm. And it gives, yeah, it gives me a, a reason to to keep running, stay fit, and try and um, yeah, also try to help the club win something at a, at a local level. Um, You know, and they're, and they're really good people at the club that have, you know, to be honest, treated my family better than some AA clubs have. Like that's, uh, you, you would think that that's normal for people to, you know, be respectful to families, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a matter of, well, too bad. Like, you know, we're we're looking after you and not your, your pregnant wife.
3: And which is, you know, sometimes, you there? Yeah, yeah. All good. Sorry, my phone's uh, running out of battery. Uh, that's it. <laughs> There's
0: a signal uh, that this is getting a bit long.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's yeah, probably my, my long-winded answers. Um, yeah,
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> but, no, it's it's been good. Um, and in, uh, we're going into finals time now, so it'll, it'll be uh, pretty soon. Two games left of the season. So,
0: yeah,
1: we'll be good. And, uh, like, just, yeah, yeah, Jack. So, just real quickly, I know you're heading into finals time, but, uh, just on the next couple of seasons, you know, forever, how long you are hanging around the National Premier Leagues and all the New South Wales, are you excited for a bit of pro rel ball coming in in the next couple of years?
2: Yeah, I think it's, uh, it'll be a good dynamic to, I mean, I, I hope, you know, it's, it works as, as intended, you know, to, to, to have, people really think about th- that kind of thing and and to have a pathway for clubs in the third division to really see the light um but you know as we as we know that time will tell whether that was a good decision or not and whether it'll be actually stuck to um but yeah it'll be it's it's certainly a, a, an interesting dynamic
0: with the uh, with the finals um, are you looking forward maybe to playing Charleston and maybe just leaving one in on like Taylor Regan or 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 Bogart? Just you know, just just just, just uh, but, rekindling some old friendships.
2: Look, they're big boys, and um, but no, I'm not a, I'm not that kind of player to leave one in on anyone because I'm <laughs> the the one and only time I tried to do that, I injured myself. So I'll, uh yeah, I learned my lesson from that one. <laughs>
3: uh...
0: Nikolai, um, absolute pleasure, uh, to have you on, um, and uh, yeah, on a on a on a Sunday night at that, um, and uh, yeah, a terrific insight uh, into into your career, um, yeah, and uh, I think I I can't speak for Jack, but I think it's it's really important to kind of um some of you guys, you know, just after you finish your early careers and stuff, to just kind of reach out and 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 see what's going on, but also you know just 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 to kind of reflect back and and just have a look at at what you've achieved because uh yeah, like as we went through. Throughout the whole podcast, uh, which interview's gone about an hour, uh, you know it's uh, it's a lot it's a lot to have achieved, um, and uh, yeah, you should be very um, very proud of that, I think uh, as well. So um, yeah, um, Jack, anything anything you wanted to add before we before we wrap it up?
1: Nah, not much. I just wanted to thank Nikolai for jumping on. You know, um, I've had some pretty fun memories watching you play as a you know a Newcastle boy myself, and um, just thanks for coming and having a chat on Front Page Football. It's been terrific
0: and uh um, i'll try and get the uh i'll try and get the email of that producer at fox sports for you and we'll uh we'll we'll chase that up and uh and see see what we can do maybe maybe create a new skit um but uh, (laughs) anyway um that's that's been another episode of the front page football podcast make sure you're following us on uh twitter um, facebook instagram also on linkedin also now on threads that's a that's now a new social media network which everyone now has to join so that that's great um and uh yeah make sure tiktok as well and uh yeah of course the website frontpagefootball.net uh, so uh yeah um that's all uh, for this episode of the pod and uh, until next time it's bye for now